0: Good morning. We're going to be continuing our study of Luke's gospel this morning. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. We're going to be starting in verse 20, and we're going to all go all the way through Luke chapter 18, verse 8. You can also find those verses printed in the, the back of your bulletin. And as you are turning there, let me just ask you a brief question Have you ever wondered what it will be like when Jesus returns? If so, if that's something that you've spent any time thinking about, is it something that you've enjoyed thinking about? Or is it something that perhaps has scared you? Has it been a source of joy or anxiety? Would you say that you are eager for the return of the Lord? I had forgotten this story until my younger sister reminded me of it a few months ago. Uh, But when we were uh, younger kids, when we were kids and we were old enough to be left home by ourselves, uh, she told me, she reminded me that I would sometimes uh, leave a pile of my clothes lying on the floor in some part of the house and then hide to scare her into thinking that she had missed the rapture. Now, it's a slightly humorous story. I don't know if she was really all that scared, but I do wonder if her mild anxiety about Jesus' return and her eternal state may be shared by some of you today so we're going to go to luke's gospel and see what jesus has to say about his return and the necessity for us to be prepared for that day so look with me starting in luke 17 verse 20 when he that is jesus was asked by the pharisees when the kingdom of god would come he answered them the kingdom of god is not coming with something observable No one will say, see here or there, for you see the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he told the disciples, the days are coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you won't see it. They will say to you, see there or see here. Do not follow or run after them. For as the lightning flashes from horizon to horizon and lights up the sky, so the Son of Man will be in his day. But first... It is necessary that he suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People went on eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It will be the same as it was in the days of Lot. People went on eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be like that on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a man on the housetop whose belongings are in the house must not come down to get them. Likewise, the man who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two will be in one one bed, one will be taken, and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord? They asked him. He said to them, where the corpse is, there also the vultures will be gathered. Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who did not fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she does not wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, friends, in these verses, Jesus reveals at least four different truths or realities about his second coming. And those realities will serve as the outline of our sermon for this morning. So Jesus's return will be, one, it will be unmistakable. It will be unmistakable. Second, his return will be unexpected. Third, Jesus's return will be will unalterably or unchangeably or unreversibly divide. It will divide. And then fourth, Jesus' return will undo all injustice. So unmistakable, unexpected, divide, undo all justice. The four realities of Jesus' return. So first we're going to look at this idea that Jesus' return will be unmistakable. So Jesus addresses two different groups in these verses. First, the Pharisees, that group of legalistic religious leaders who were so constantly, so often opposed to Jesus during his earthly ministry. And then in verse 22 and following, Jesus shifts his focus to his disciples. Jesus told the Pharisees that the kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. It will not be so obvious. But to his disciples, Jesus said that the Son of Man, Jesus, that is Jesus, the Son of Man, on the day of his return, it will be like a big lightning storm that lights up the sky for all to see. In other words, his return will be unmistakable. To the the Pharisees, Jesus was speaking about his, his first coming. He was born as a baby, born by a virgin, born as a baby. He lived on earth. As he ministered on earth, so he's speaking about his his first coming, what was going on right then, when the kingdom of God was launched or inaugurated, begun. But to his disciples, he was speaking about his second coming, his return to earth, and the consummation or the full realization of God's kingdom. God's kingdom has already begun. It began when Jesus came, but it will not be fully realized until he Returns. Now, these two different messages to these two different groups—it was making one point. Now, that one point is: if you want to be prepared for Jesus's second coming, when He does return, when the kingdom of God is fully realized, then you cannot miss or overlook His first coming. You better not miss His first coming. Friends, you do not have to worry about his judgment if you have cried out for his mercy. Well, the, the Pharisees and many of the Jews of today, they believed the, the long-promised Messiah would not just be a spiritual leader, but something of a political, even a, a military leader. They were looking on the lookout for somebody more like the warrior king, Charlemagne, or Alexander the Great. They were on the lookout for an earthly kingdom and so they asked, well, Jesus, when will God's kingdom come? And Jesus replied that God's kingdom would not be what they expected. It would not come with something observable. It would not be flashy and grand. No, instead, Jesus said at the end of verse 21 that the kingdom of God was in their midst. In other words, the kingdom of God was among them. In other words, the kingdom of God was present in Jesus Christ. The kingdom had arrived because the king was here. King was here. There's the kingdom. Now, it was true. We might say that many of the miracles that Jesus performed were observable signs of who he was. These signs were not like the unmistakable lightning storm that lights up the whole sky. These signs must have been, had to be taken on faith. They were intended to lead to faith in King Jesus. Friends, this is what the Pharisees missed. And not just the Pharisees, but so many who were present during the ministry of Jesus Christ. They did not place their faith in Jesus They did not see Him as the Messiah. They did not see Him as the King. They did not see Him as the Savior of the world. But friends, this is what you must not miss. If you want to be part of God's eternal kingdom, if you want Jesus' return to be a day of rejoicing and not a day of terror, you must place your faith in King Jesus. That's the only escape from the wrath to come. It's faith in Jesus Christ. And so friends, in Jesus turned his attention to his disciples. In verse 22, he told them that there was a day coming when he would no longer be with them. And there was a, a day coming when, therefore, they would long to be with him again. Now, if you, if you know anything about the apostles, the life of the disciples after Jesus ascended back into heaven... You can think on some of their sufferings and trials and persecutions that they endured. And you can understand why they might long for Jesus' return. Why they might long for Him to be among them again. Christians, some of you may be experiencing suffering and trials right now. These may lead you to, to long for Jesus to return. Friends, it is a good thing It is a right thing to long for the return of Jesus. It is a good thing to long for heaven, when perfect righteousness and justice will reign, when sickness, sorrow, and death will be no more. But Jesus had a warning for his disciples, perhaps a warning for when suffering came and when their hearts ached to be with him again when the trials and tribulations of this world seemed overwhelming. Friends, he has a warning for you too. And his warning is, do not be fooled by those who claim to be me or by those who claim that I have secretly returned. Uh, you, can, you can see that in uh, verse 23. They will say to you, see there or see here. Do not follow or run after them. Friends, history is littered with people who have falsely claimed to be Jesus who has returned to earth, and they have led many astray. In fact, the New Zealand Herald, a, a newspaper in New Zealand a few years ago, ran a short profile on seven different people from around the world who are currently claiming to be the returned Jesus. Seven different people. Now, you wonder if they ever get together and have a fight about which one is the real one. One of these men in Russia has gained a following of up to 10,000 people. Several have scammed their followers out of their life savings. But perhaps even more prevalent have been those who have said that they can predict the day when Jesus will return. Some have convinced their followers to do foolish things like quit their job and sell all of their possessions because they promise the return of Jesus is right around the corner. Well, both of those who claim to be Jesus and those who claim to know the date he will return, they take advantage of people's anxiety about missing out, about missing out on the return of Jesus, of being left out of his eternal kingdom. Friends, Jesus warned his disciples do not follow or run after people like that. Brothers and sisters, The internet is littered with people who claim that a certain current event is the fulfillment of one end time's prophecy or another. It could be right, but I would encourage you not to run after those people. I would encourage you not to spend your time reading the newspaper and the book of Revelation side by side. Friends, Jesus' return will be unmistakable. You don't have to worry about him returning in secret as some mystery man in Russia or some other part of the world, uh, that you've got to get in on the inside and go align yourself with this person who's claiming to be the return Jesus. No, Jesus' return will be unmistakable. And we are to prepare for his return, not by predicting when it will occur, but by living faithfully until it does occur, or until death takes us home. And the reason, again, that Jesus told his disciples not to be fooled by these kinds of people is that his return would be unmistakable. Just look again at verse 24. For as the lightning flashes from horizon to horizon and lights up the sky, so the Son of Man will be in his day. His return will not be like the baggage claim in the airport. You know, like there's a rush of people to get as close as they can to the baggage claim and they stare really hard at it to make sure their bag doesn't somehow pass them by or miss it no it'd be more like if your bag has like bright neon flashing lights and a loud speaker saying pastor jesse this is your bag like that's going to be what the return of jesus is like everyone will know it when jesus is revealed again as this is the same point that jesus makes in verse 37 just as the circling vultures are an obvious sign of something something that has died, uh, the return of Jesus will not be missed. My prank on my sister may not have been so effective had she realized that reality. But Jesus did tell his disciples in verse thirty three that before any of that happened, but Jesus first had to complete his mission on earth. He had to go to the cross. He had to suffer and die and rise again. Well, if you are a Christian, it is because Jesus did go to the cross that you do not need to fear the day of his return. It is Jesus who paid the penalty for your sin on the cross and rose again that you might have eternal life in him. It is Jesus and only Jesus who delivers you like he delivered Noah and like he delivered Lot from the wrath of God that will be poured out on the day that he returns. But friends, only if you repent and believe. If you want to be delivered on that day, you must repent and place your faith in Jesus Christ who died and rose again. Friends, Jesus was faithful to go to the cross. He was faithful to his word. So you can be confident that he will be faithful to about his word to return. Jesus will return. But second, first, Jesus' return will be unmistakable. Friends, Jesus' return will also be unexpected. The ancient Roman city of Pompeii, it's in modern-day Italy, was the site of a huge volcanic eruption in the year 79 A.D., only about uh, 50 years after Jesus' death. Mount Vesuvius powerfully erupted, and the city of Pompeii was lost, instantly buried under about 5 to 10 feet of volcanic ash. Now, over the last couple of hundred years, uh, archaeologists have been begun excavating uh, that city. They slowly excavated it, and they found it remarkably well-preserved under that layer of volcanic ash. They've even found bakeries, uh, bakeries in that city where there were loaves of bread still baking in the oven that are preserved. They wouldn't eat them, but they found them. It seems that life basically went on as normal up until the moment of eruption. People were baking bread, to put it in Jesus' words from verse 26 through 30. People went on eating, drinking, buying, selling, until Swift and sudden destruction came. Jesus' point in these verses is that his return will bring the same unexpected and sudden destruction to the world as Mount Vesuvius did to the city of Pompeii. It will be just like the days of Noah and Lot. Before God sent the rain to flood the earth or fire and sulfur fell from heaven on Sodom and Gomorrah, the people were just going on there with their normal lives. They were going on as if nothing was wrong. But judgment came suddenly. And it came unexpectedly. Now friends, Jesus in these verses is not condemning living your life. He is not condemning buying and selling, marrying or being given in marriage. No, we must eat and drink and buy and sell. Now the problem was, What Jesus is rebuking here is that people were living their ordinary lives as if nothing would ever interrupt them. As if they were just going to go on as they had always gone on. They were going to wake up the next day and it was going to be the same as the day before. They were living as if there was no such thing as eternity. Really, if there was no such thing as God. There was no such thing as judgment. They were living their lives with no regard for eternity. But that proved to be a horrifically wrong assumption. It was too late for the people of Noah's day when the rain unexpectedly began to fall. It was too late for the people in Sodom when the sulfur unexpectedly began to rain down from heaven. Well, the people in Noah's day The people in Lot's day, they were unprepared for the judgment that came. And the reason they were unprepared is because they lived their ordinary lives with no consideration of God. Their lives were marked by sin and unrighteousness. They never repented. It was the great wickedness of the earth that caused the Lord to destroy the earth with a flood the great wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah that caused the Lord to rain down fire and sulfur from heaven. Friends, these are just to be precursors. They were to be small pictures as a warning to you about a greater judgment that is to come. These people were judged because they did not seek after God. They did not live faithfully and righteously. They did not live in light of eternity. Friends, it's a warning to you not to make the same mistake. Friends, prepare yourself now for God's coming day of judgment. Now, today is the day of salvation. When Jesus returns, it will be too late. Jesus' return will be sudden and unexpected. There will be no advanced warnings. It's not going to be any like you know, tornado sirens or hurricane sirens, tsunami warnings going off before Jesus' return. But God has given you time now to prepare yourself for that day. So friends, if you are here and never place your faith in Jesus Christ, do not wait. It is only Jesus who can deliver you from the wrath to come. Friends, the the reason that you do not need to waste your time speculating on the date of Jesus' return is that that does actually nothing to prepare you for his return. It's a fruitless exercise. Instead, repent and believe. Pursue righteousness and justice. That is how you prepare for his sudden appearance. Verse 33. Whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. In other words, live for eternity, not today. Store up treasure in heaven, not on earth. Don't try to preserve your earthly life. Take care of your spiritual life. Take care of your soul. Be faithful with the little you have on earth so that you might receive a heavenly reward. But friends, we are so often tempted to live for today to make our lives on earth as comfortable as possible, as rewarding as possible, as Instagram worthy as possible, as secure as possible. We think that life and security is found in those things, a big bank account, the esteem of our fellow man. Friends, those things provide no real security at all. Look at verses 31 and 32. Jesus said that on the day when he is revealed, you must not come down or turn back to get your possessions. Now, when Jesus says, when he re- when, when Jesus says that, I do not think he's actually teaching there's going to be time to like, turn around and run back to your house when he returns. It's, a, it's an illustration making the point that where you turn or where you would be tempted to turn on the day of Jesus' return is a sign of where your heart is. It's a sign of where your treasure is. It's a sign of where you are looking for security and safety. Are you eagerly looking up in faith to to Jesus? Are you eagerly anticipating his return? Will you look up when he comes with rejoicing? Or will you turn around because you have placed all of your faith, all of your love, all of your security, and all of your treasure in the things of this earth? Friends, Lot's wife turned around to look back at Sodom because she loved sinful Sodom more than she loved the Lord. Friends, she was looking back at that which she missed. She was not rejoicing in her salvation. She was mourning what she lost. And when I was younger, I used to, I remember thinking that I wanted Jesus to wait a little while before he returned. Uh, There were some things I wanted to do. Things I wanted to see, life experiences I wanted to have. My heart was tempted to turn around. Friends, Christians are to eagerly anticipate the return of their Savior because there is nothing better. Uh, Tom Schreiner put it this way. If people desire to preserve life in this world, then like Lot's wife, life will be lost in the age to come. But those who lose their life for Jesus' sake, who long for his return, who love Jesus as their greatest treasure, they will find their lives. My well, friends, where will you be looking when Jesus returns? To you graduates, Alistair, James, you're about to embark on life on your own, to begin acquiring your own possessions. Begin building your own lives. Alistair and James, resist the temptation to place your security in the things of this world. Treasure the Lord. Treasure the church. Treasure His word. Pursue faithfulness to Him. It is not your earthly possessions that will save you when Jesus comes again. No, it is the Lord and the Lord alone who can protect and save. Friends, it's the Lord who rescued Noah and Lot. It is the Lord who will rescue all of His people, those who have placed their faith in Him, on the day that He returns. Friends, Jesus' return will be unmistakable. It will be unexpected. And Jesus' return will unalterably or unchangeably or unreversibly divide. This is the point that Jesus was making in verses 34 and 35. When Jesus returns, his people will be taken up to safety and security. Just like Noah and Lot, they will be rescued. While unbelievers will face his judgment. Now, just in full disclosure, I do not believe Jesus is talking about a secret rapture here. The idea that the church will be taken out of the world before the tribulation and unbelievers left behind in the world. And Jesus just finished explaining how unmistakable his coming will be for all that his coming will bring sudden judgment. I do believe in the rapture. I just think that there will be nothing secret about it. Jesus will return once, unmistakably, to simultaneously catch his people up in the air with him and rescue them and to judge the wicked. If only I had come to that conviction sooner for the sake of my sister. Now, friends, you are welcome to disagree with me about that. Many people far wiser than I. Many people far more faithful and mature than I in the faith would disagree with me about that. But I, and you can also come to our biblical equipping class next week where we're going to be talking about the last things, so bring your questions. But what I do believe Jesus is talking about in these verses is the separation between the righteous and the unrighteous at his return. J.C. Ryle says this about these verses. We should observe in these verses what a dreadful separation there will be when Christ comes again. Our Lord describes this separation with very striking pictures. In that night, there shall be two people in one bed, and one shall be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding together, and one shall be taken and the other left. The meaning of these expressions is clear and plain. The day of Christ's second coming will be a day when good and evil, converted and unconverted, shall at length be divided into two distinct groups. It will matter nothing that people have worked together and slept together and lived together for many years. They will be dealt with at the last according to their faith. Those members of the family who have loved Christ will be taken up to heaven. Those who have loved the world will be cast into hell. Converted and unconverted shall be separated forevermore when Jesus comes again. Friends, are you ready for that day? Before we move on, I need to point out something that a few of you may have noticed here in our text, and that's the fact that verse 36 is missing from Luke chapter 17. You have a good Bible, there's probably a footnote that mentions that some old Greek New Testament manuscripts include verse 36, which says this Two will be left, two will be in a field, one will be taken, and the other will be left. That's almost an identical verse to Matthew 24, verse 40. So the question is, why is it not included here? Why do probably most of your Bibles skip from verse 35 straight to verse 37? Well, friends, we literally have thousands of manuscripts or copies of the Greek New Testament from some of the early centuries of the church. In fact, we have far more manuscripts of the New Testament than any other book from ancient history or any other religious text. And it is not even close. And friends, what should give you great confidence in the complete trustworthiness of the Bible is how similar these thousands of different manuscripts are to one another. However, there are some differences. For the most part, the vast majority of the differences are small, insignificant variations, like the different spellings of words, so spelling errors. But there are some larger differences, like the one we encounter here in Luke 17. But the the great thing is that because we have so many manuscripts to compare, because in God's providence so many have been preserved, biblical scholars are able to make very informed judgments on which manuscripts are correct and which are not. And the reason verse 36 is not included in most of your Bibles is because there is a high degree of confidence that that verse was not part of the original words that Luke wrote down, but was added for one reason or another, maybe intentionally, maybe accidentally, into a small minority of later manuscripts. So some of the manuscripts that came later, a small minority of them included verse 36. But friends, actually, the fact that we have enough manuscripts of the Greek New Testament to evaluate the difference between those manuscripts, for scholars to be able to make informed judgments like that, should give you a greater confidence in the Bible. Not less of a confidence in the Bible. Brothers and sisters, you can trust the Bible. It is the inspired Word of God. In fact, I think it should give you confidence that your Bibles are even pointing this out in the footnotes. They're not hiding it. Friends, Christianity is not a religion that discourages questions, that tries to suppress questions. Christianity is a religion of the truth because it is the truth. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Friends, we uh, as Christians invite questions, invite the careful investigation of what God's Word has to say. And that being said, if you have any questions about this, please come talk to me after the service. I would be more than happy to talk more with you about it, even direct you to some resources which you can read that would teach you more about it. That brings us to the fourth and final point of the sermon, that Jesus' return will undo all injustice. So look with me again, starting at chapter 18. Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who did not fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she does not wear me out or buy her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Well, Luke helpfully gives us the divinely inspired purpose of this parable right up front in verse 1. It's always so helpful when the Lord does that. And Jesus told this parable so that his disciples and that you, church, that we, that all of God's people would see the need to pray always and not give up. Church, just take a moment and think about what it is that you have been praying for longer than anything else in your life. Kids, teenagers, is there something that you have been praying for for a long time? Friends, Jesus' encouragement to you is to keep right on praying. But why? Why should you pray and never give up? There's, many, there's a number of reasons that we could list. I'm going to give you three. One, if you're a Christian, God hears your prayer. First John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that He hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of Him. God hears the prayers of the righteous. Second, God rewards persistent prayer. This is what we see in the text. Will not God grant justice to His elect who cry out to Him day and night? Will He delay in helping them? Luke 11:9, 9, which we looked at a few months ago. So I say, you ask, and it will be given to you. Seek. And you will find, knock, and the door will be open to you. Now, friends, when I say that God rewards persistent prayer, I do not mean that God will always give you what you ask for. He may, but he may not. But, friends, prayer brings you into fellowship with God himself. You get more of God when you pray. It changes you. It strengthens your faith. If you're faithful to pray always, you reap the reward in your spiritual life. The path of peace and joy, contentment, helps you set your hope on eternity and not on this earth, to find your treasure in Him. Friends, God will reward your persistent prayer. And third third reason that you should go right on praying and never give up is because of the God to whom you pray. Friends, our God is a good God. Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 and 11. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Friends, your Heavenly Father only gives those things that are for your good. He only gives you what is good. If He delays in answering your prayer, it is for your good. Maybe it's to teach you how to pray persistently and continually. If He does not give you the thing you ask for, it is for your good. Friends, our God is not just a good God. He's also the sovereign creator and the sustainer of the world. You should pray to Him always because who else has the power to answer? Who else are you going to bring these requests to that has the power to fulfill them? Brothers and sisters, cast your cares on Him because He can actually do something about them. Turn to Him because He can care for you and He does care for you. And whether or not He ever gives you the thing that you're praying for, He will strengthen your faith as you come into fellowship with Him. This is what Michael Reeves writes in his little book, Enjoy Your Prayer Life. Actually, I think we have it on the back table. Let me encourage you to borrow it and read it. He writes this. Being a Christian is first and foremost all about receiving, asking, and depending. It is when you do not feel needy, and so when you do not pray much, that you lose your grip on reality and think or act in, un- in an unchristian manner. In fact, as you grow as a Christian, you should feel not more self-sufficient, but ever more needy. If you do not, I am not sure you are growing spiritually. If you really feel your need to depend on God, though, prayer will simply flow from this. Prayer, then, is enjoying the care of a powerful father instead of being left to a frightening loneliness where everything is all down to you. Prayer is the antithesis or the opposite of self-dependence. A church, this kind of prayer, persistent prayer, it requires faith. We'll look at the end of verse 8. Jesus asked, when I come back, will I find faith on earth? Will I find people who are trusting in themselves or trusting in me? Will I find people who are looking to me as their treasure? Will I find a people treasuring the things of this earth? Will I find people persisting in prayer, persisting in their dependence on me? Or will I not? So, friends, one proper takeaway from this parable is that you should keep praying and never give up. But I want you to notice something about this parable. The widow in this parable was not just seeking anything here. God did not just promise to provide anything for his elect to those whom he has chosen before the foundation of the world. No, this widow was seeking justice. God promises to provide justice to his chosen children. So these verses serve as something of a concluding illustration about Jesus' second coming, making it clear that when Jesus returns, he will undo all injustice. And just think for a moment. Why, what might be the number one thing that would make you or does make you long for heaven? It's the number one thing. I think there's a chance that it is unjust treatment here on earth an unfair salary, maybe pay withheld, broken promises by a company, racism or discrimination, perhaps bullies at school, your home country in shambles due to the corruption of the government. Friends, some of these issues may be what came to mind when I asked you what you had been praying for the longest. When we we are faced with these things, we are right to cry out, come Lord Jesus, come. It is justice that the widow in Jesus' parable sought. She wanted God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Widows were vulnerable members of society, particularly vulnerable members of society in Jesus' day. I think in many places of the world they really still are. They would have been those counted among the weak and poor, the downtrodden the needy well the widow in this parable had an adversary It was someone in the community taking advantage of her treating her unjustly perhaps even unlawfully and so this widow went to the judge in the town asking for him to intervene but he had no great interest in giving her justice he did not fear God meaning he did not care to follow God's commands which required that the judges and the justices show justice and give justice with no partiality to the widow as equally as to the rich. He did not respect people, whether this widow or others who might have thought poorly of him for failing to give her justice. He was not interested in helping. But this widow was persistent. She did not give up. She kept going and going and going and going to pester this judge and demand that justice be done. Eventually, she wore him down he decided, because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she does not wear me out by her persistent coming. He just wanted her to be quiet and go away. At this point, all of you parents are quietly sympathizing with the unjust judge in the parable. Well, Jesus' conclusion, his point is found in verses 6 through 8. Friends, his point, that is, even if this unjust judge who did not fear God gave this widow justice... <laughs> Because of her persistence. Well, Christian, how much more can you expect God to give you justice? The sovereign and good God who hears your prayers. Our God is a God of perfect justice, and he will certainly give justice to his elect. In Revelation chapter 6, verses 10 through 11, we find the prayers recorded of those who have been martyred or killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. And this is their prayer. Revelation 6, 10, and 11. They cried out with a loud voice, Lord, the one who is holy and true, how long until you judge those who live on the earth and avenge our blood? So they were each given a white robe, and they were told to rest a little while longer until the number would be completed of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters who were going to be killed just as they had been. In other words, the martyrs are in heaven crying out, How long, O Lord, until justice is done? How long? They're still waiting for their justice. God's answer, be patient. Wait. Justice is coming. Friends, justice is certainly coming. Jesus will one day undo all injustice. Our God is a God of perfect justice, and one day he will make all things right. Not some things, all things. Every injustice, big and small. Friends, this reality is a terror for non-Christians. But to you, Christian, it should be a comfort. One of the great hopes and encouragements of the Christian faith is that God will one day judge all wrongdoing. When he returns, all wrongs will be made right. He will not ignore injustice. He will correct it. Christian, God is not indifferent to your suffering. God is not indifferent to your mistreatment. He sees it. He knows it. Friends, one day he will correct it. Christian, do you know that every single injustice ever committed against you will be paid for in full? If your adversaries ever repent and place their faith in Jesus, and friends, you should pray that they would, then Jesus paid for every injustice they committed against you in full at the cross. He paid for it when he was mocked and whipped and beaten, when the crown of thorns was shoved down on his head, and when the nails were driven through his hands and his feet, and when he bled and died. Friends, he paid not just for the injustice committed against you of those who repent and believe, but every one of the injustices that you have committed at the cross. But friends, for those who do not repent for their unjust treatment of others in this life, friends, we have all treated others unjustly. They will pay for every injustice they committed by spending an eternity suffering in hell. That's the reality of Jesus' return. Christian, the fact that you can count on justice being done is to be a comfort to you. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Because it is written, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says the Lord. Friends, how can you possibly avoid taking vengeance or getting your revenge on those who have mistreated you? How can you love your enemies and seek their good? It's by remembering that God will one day judge every wrong, so you are free to forgive. And church, it's by looking to the example of Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 23-24, through 24, when Jesus was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. Church, we are called to do the same, to entrust ourselves to the one who will one day judge justly and to live for righteousness. And we can do this by remembering that Jesus bore our sins on his body while we were yet his enemies. That's why you were yet his enemies. Christ died for you. But friends, the question that Jesus leaves you with this morning is this. When the Son of Man returns, when Jesus returns, will He find faith on earth? Will He find faith in you? Will He find you living for today or for eternity? Will He find you looking up at Him rejoicing turning around to look at your possessions. Justice is coming. Jesus is returning. On that day, will you be vindicated or will you be judged? Friends, if you are not certain to the answer of your answer to those questions, please come talk to me after the service. Prepare now for eternity. Let's pray.